0: From GreenBiz Group, welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Joel McCowher here in Oakland, California. On this week's edition, The Risky Business of Climate Risk, An Experiment in Circular City Innovation, Can C-Suite Paycheck Save the World? And 25 Badass Women Shaping Climate Action in 2021. Every day is International Women's Day. This week on 350. It's March 12th, 2021. Welcome to this week's edition of Green Biz 350. Joining me from Midland Park, New Jersey is Green Biz. Badass editorial director Heather Clancy. Hello, Heather.
1: (laughs) Hi. How are you, Joel?
0: Busier than I've ever been, but um,
1: feeling good. You know, I am too. It's uh, gratifyingly crazy. Um, You know, I don't know if I should be gratified, but I am. I'm very. I'm grateful that uh, it is so busy because there's a lot going on and a lot of potential progress in the pipeline. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: And I am happy to say that this week I got my second COVID shot. <gasps> one of the very, very, very few benefits of being an old guy.
1: So now that you've been double-shotted, do you have any plans?
0: Well, I s- celebrated with a double shot, that was for sure. Um, <laughs> my trusty uh, bottle of bullet here. Uh, you know, <laughs> thinking about going in May to uh, take a little road trip, Um, Because Mm -hmm. we can. Um, It's also our Mm -hmm. anniversary, Randy and me, and so she and I are looking to maybe go to Bryce uh, down in Utah. So, but um, you know, it's still pretty tentative. Uh, I am touching Mm -hmm. my face more than I used to now that I'm (laughs) vaccinated. But in general, you know, it's hard.
1: I don't think you should. (laughs) I think we should should maintain our good habits, our good. habits that we that we have it's a
0: different world no you know it's really hard to make too many changes too quickly just because you know first of all where are you going to go and you know i can't go to a movie mm-hmm. it's okay to go to restaurants at least here in california mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. it's going to be a, a, a iterative process but it is just nice checking that box i have to say and I, not to gloat um, i love that uh, Trevor Noah on the Daily Show said, "You know, we should require people who get vaccinated to wear masks simply because we don't want to have to look at their smile."
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm sure I have a number of weeks and probably months to wait. So, um, but uh, I'm ex- I'm excited for you.
0: All right. Well, let's move on from there. <laughs> let's get going and talk about our weekend review. And we have to start off this week with your opus, this annual opus that you do, Heather, 25 Badass Women Shaping Climate Action in 2021. What a great work that is. Uh, tell us, you know, how do you go about finding these women? And was it hard to find 25 or did you have way more than you knew what uh, that you could include?
1: Wow. Well, you know... This is a labor of love, and it is an opus. Yeah, I, I should probably should keep it shorter, but, but I can't help myself. There, there's so many great things that uh, these women are doing. It is not difficult for me to find people that are potentially um, eligible for this list. It's becoming harder to uh, not want to put people back on because I'm trying to really um, maintain sort of a, a, a different approach every year, I'm having different people and i really spend a lot of time thinking about diversity on this list and, and 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 in all senses of the term the sectors that are represented the sorts of things that these or uh, women are doing um you know most of them are specifically involved with sustainability in some way but you know like it, there's others that that pertain to this this list or, or have an influence like Melody Hobson from Ariel Investments, who is just an amazingly successful African American woman, and um, you know she's not technically in sustainability, but she's doing all sorts of wonderful things to help uh, change a dialogue in terms of green finance. Um, This newest initiative that they that they launched a couple months ago called Project Black. Um, they're basically uh, the fund that she she's with is looking at investing in businesses that are that are owned specifically by Black or uh, Latinx entrepreneurs, um, and they're also looking at, at taking companies that are not minority owned and helping them change their ownership model. So she's really investing in in, in BIPOC um, entrepreneurs. So that that was exciting to me. But I yeah I love this list, um, and yeah actually I would have to say and this this I challenge our our audience to help me with next year. I need to get better at understanding and knowing the folks outside of the United States. We have some good international representation on this list, but that's the one area where I feel like I always want to do more. Um, I'll I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give a hint about our 30 under 30 class that's coming up in May. Um, We have been uh, really successful in, in gaining more nominations of, of people from people outside the United States. But I, I'd like to I guess that's my uh, my goal for next year is to is to really pull in more international people. But I'm just curious, Joel, uh, Anyone leap out at, at you from this list um, that you that you didn't know about or that you, you feel like, you know, more?
0: Well, there are a number that I didn't know anything about uh- uh, There's several, several that we know well. Some of the corporate sustainability folks care first over at Amazon, Ella Jacowski at, at HP, uh, Joel Coleman at Cargill and, uh, uh Roman McCaig at, at Campbell. But there are a number of people, uh, particularly from the international community and, um, the, the nonprofit world, Sunita and Narain, I think is how you say it, that the Center for Science and the Environment is one that, that stuck out. Um, and then some from outside the U.S., even on the corporate side, uh, Malina Norden, I think this, again, pardon my mispronunciation, is head of the Circular Development at IKEA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, yep. I did not know about her. And uh, certainly we knew about Sando Giombo, who you interviewed at uh, in Green Biz this year, the head of the uh, United Nations Global Compact. So, you know, even those that I knew, um, I learned stuff about. So I love this piece. And I hope that it gets, I know that it's getting, guys, it's been blowing up on social media. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. and, uh, that's, that's, and 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 what's also great about that, to your earlier point, so many people are saying, you forgot about so-and-so. And so-
1: Exactly. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I
0: love and, and so we're, and of course, a lot of this was done before the Biden administration was was uh, named, at least the cabinet members, and so didn't have some of the, the great uh, women who were part exactly. of that. So- we you're halfway, I think, to you know to the 2022 <laughs> list, which is uh, a beautiful thing, but I'm sure that you will as this continues and as the greenbiz community steps up with uh you know the you should know about uh, list, um, that would be great. But you know you know what we could use more of on this list are entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah, I actually intentionally did not um put that many entrepreneurs on this one because I have another list in mind, mm. so yeah, there you go. I so don't know I kind of held. Uh, no, you don't know about it. Okay. <laughs> but I've been thinking about this a little bit and um, and sort of building possibilities for that list. So yeah, stay tuned. And it might not have to wait for another year. In fact, it won't. So um, yeah, I have I have some uh, some things in mind. But yeah, I love this project, and uh, it. Uh, It's hard because I want to be be fair and and have a good balance, but I love it.
0: Well, I do too, and I'll look forward to whatever that other list is in the future. But let's turn to the future right now, and specifically risk, and specifically climate risk. We ran a piece this week by our senior editor, Elsa Wenzel, uh, on the risky business of climate risk. And uh, here's the, the money quote from this piece which is uh, quoting Rodney Irwin, Managing Director of Redefining Value at the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. This is a quote that he said uh, uh, during Green Biz 21. He said, let's stop predicting the future because we've proven we're incapable of doing it. Instead of asking, as part of our risk determined process, determination process, how something is likely to happen, we should be asking a more cerebral question, which is, if it did happen, could we manage it? And he said, that's a very different question. And that's where we go. We yeah. spend so much time trying to think of where the world is going, as mm-hmm. opposed to looking at these scenarios and saying, well, what that could, what would happen to our supply chain, our customers, our facilities, um, our finances, if A, B, or C happened? That's obviously what risk is about. And 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 then you know, it doesn't mean that if if something's going to happen, we should not take that risk because everything is a risk. And so, how do we calculate around that? And and I think this whole topic of climate risk it certainly shows up on the investing side um, uh, because that's what ESG is really all about. It's about assessing risk and and investing or uh, moving money around to to reward those who are mitigating risk uh, and to I guess punish those who aren't. So I love that we're taking this on. on am Green more, and this is a hugely important mm-hmm. topic.
1: Yeah, I, I and, that, and that was the exact same thing I keep key, queued in on when I was reading this piece, um, because it, it actually reminded me of of the time of my past career reporting on companies, many of whom have big data centers, right? And there's always these drills that they do, and many, you know, it's like you plan you have to plan and understand what you're vulnerable for even if it's not very much of a possibility like one of the points it's made is is you know if you think about the risks like the world economic forum um 2020 global risk report it didn't have a pandemic in the in like its major warnings for the year ahead and lo and behold you know like what it it, it didn't matter you know because we had to deal with it and so I like I loved the, the the insights provided here about you know specifically you know as you're thinking about where are you vulnerable how do you disclose it um, some you know not not anything new for many of us you know that the three big things that are going you're gonna have to really think about are the disclosure um, and and with more attention in the United States on on uh, you know possibly mandatory disclosure where where are you vulnerable compliance like how how are you going to be uh handling human rights and labor conditions and so forth um biodiversity loss etc things that are not that are soft you know harder to measure exactly and then um you know the the specter of litigation uh, you know is there going to be a future in which you're going to be sued for these things or held liable for for not having thought having thought through um, how vulnerable you are and actually having some some plans in place. So yeah, I think it's a great piece. Some good perspective from um, you know some folks at the Green Biz Twenty One conference. It, it's a uh, there are some really really heady <laughs> sessions this year that I'm I'm so happy that uh, we we had covered and, and this is just just yet another one of them.
0: It, what's also important here is the risk of not sharing, of not disclosing risks. And mm-hmm. uh, there's legal risks, mm-hmm. there's market risks, there's uh, all, all sorts of risks. Um, and I think that's important too. Is that it's one thing for a company to understand the risk they're facing and to play out different scenarios and understand, you know, could what would happen if. It's another thing to to disclosing that, and that's what uh, TCFD, the Task Force on Climate Related Financial Disclosures, is about requiring, or it was voluntarily now, but require, requirement in some countries that, that um, companies play out different scenarios and disclose, you know, what are the risks to our business at a certain temperature rise, for example. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's not just climate and it's not just energy. It's about, as you said, biodiversity is becoming a huge risk. We're going to be covering that more and more, uh, the... the how companies are responding to the looming biodiversity crisis since a third of global GDP is dependent upon uh, biodiversity and nature services. Um, So this is uh, a huge topic. We've barely scratched the surface, a lot more to come. Mm -hmm.
1: Great. And I'll move us to our last topic, which is uh, the piece that you wrote, Joel, this week on uh, paychecks and how they might or might not save the world. And specifically, we're talking C-suite paychecks, um, looking at how CEOs and CFOs and chief human resources officers and all of the other chiefs that we have in in companies are compensated for, especially in this instance, uh, social and environmental goals. And I think the thing that triggered this was the Chipotle plan that you you wrote about. Um, They're going to... Spice up their executive pay packages to include social and environmental goals, and Apple has something um, similar going on. But I, I love, I, and I love your quote, your question, Joel, which kind of got me into this and it got a big chuckle. Tell us what in the name of fringe benefits is going on here?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this is Chipotle was mostly the, the news hook, as we say in the trade, but the thing that happened just last week that uh, gave us a little bit more. Timeliness, but this has been going on for a while. And as, as always, uh, taking the lead in Europe, European uh, companies are, are starting to link, uh, the performance on environmental, social and governance issues to, um, uh, executive pay. Having said that, it's really just a tiny bit. It's usually around incentive bonuses, long-term, short-term incentive plans. So it's not the whole paycheck and, um, but you know, for uh, for a, uh, a well paid CEO or CFO, it could you know it could be seven figures, could be a million dollars or more uh, that's that's at stake here. Um, and so you know, this is significant. This is did not happen even a few years ago. Um, and where money goes, uh, management follows, and you know where boards uh, have wheeled the clout and saying, this is how we want to do this management uh, steps in and says, Okay, we're now going to pay attention to this more than we used to because my paycheck or my bonus depends on it. And so uh, this is a significant thing. Now there's a lot of questions about, you know, do we want to start optimizing for whatever it is is, um, you know, the latest thing on the radar screen for CEO, maybe um do Are we going to be paying attention to the ESG as, at the uh, risk of abandoning other things? Probably not. And these are the questions that are important to ask. But we're starting to see some um, tools and other resources to help companies do this. Uh, just in the last uh, week or two, the Aspen Institute published a white paper called The Modern Principles of Sensible and Effective Pay, which is specifically designed to help boardrooms think about executive compensation given a lot of new market priorities and shifting public attitudes towards equity and fairness and sustainability and everything else. So this is very clearly um, uh, the next one, one of the things that uh, we're, we're going to be seeing more of. And the question is, will it move the needle? Uh, will it actually make a difference? Will companies be doing things that they wouldn't otherwise have done? And will they be significant things or just uh, sort of tinkering at the margins? Those are the big unanswered questions that we'll just Mm -hmm. have to wait and see.
1: Yeah, I just to your point about this being a small percentage of these packages that these executives get paid, I'm I'm really very curious and will be watching how these trickle down into management levels where there might be where it might be a bigger part of the paycheck and also to employees just employees at large now if you thought about putting bonuses in place or or if, if the company bonus for example is tied to this ESG um, metric or or to a certain uh, sort of social impact and values and, and so forth that could be really impactful too as you as you move down into the ranks of, of companies so I love it. I love this and I I remember it from the days of the computer industry that if you wanted to incent certain behavior, you just boom, you put the, the the bonus in place and or some part of the salary. So great. I, I love the piece. Thank you for getting me thinking about it and for getting others thinking about it. Circular economy models are cropping up in cities around the world, and urban communities will be central to their success or failure. The World Economic Forum, through its Scale360 initiative, is at the center of this evolution. In February, Scale360 announced plans to team up with another World Economic Forum initiative, the Global Shapers Community, to encourage circular innovations in four hubs around the world specifically in Mexico City, Brussels, Turin, and Bangkok. The idea is to encourage young changemakers and social entrepreneurs to pilot circular technologies and processes. Dropping by GreenBiz 350 to discuss the program is Helen Burdett, Circular Economy Innovation Lead for the World Economic Forum. Hello, Helen. Hello. Let's start with a level set. What is Scale360 and what's the mission of the initiative? Scale360
2: is a global movement for circular economy innovation. It came out of some study and research that we did around the way that technology is changing industries and how it isn't having the impact that we'd like to see on the transition to circular. So we created the Scale360 program to really think about how do we build innovation ecosystems and support the application of fourth industrial revolution technologies two circular challenges.
1: So can you give me a sense of what you've done so far, what, what this uh, initiative has pulled off so far?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we think of, kind of our, all of our programming as fitting within this surface support and connect framework where we're servicing innovations, we're surfacing opportunities for innovators and business opportunities. Then we're building these supportive ecosystems thinking of Silicon Valley as a hub for technology innovation. We want to build the Silicon Valley for circular around the world at a city and a national level to help innovators scale and then building those connections globally and using really the power of the world economic forum to help bring all of these actors together.
1: So I think our imaginations have been captured by the idea of circular cities. Many people talk about them. I haven't really seen many, um, concrete examples, if you will. So give me more details on how this whole Global Shapers pilot um, will play out. Are there specific ideas that you're testing each place? How how will it be structured?
2: Yeah, so we actually selected these four cities that you mentioned from a global application, call for applications from the Global Shapers community. The Global Shapers community is the forum's under-30 changemakers community Uh, There are over 400 hubs around the world. We narrowed down our applications to really 40 strong applications and then selected all the way down to four from there. So it was a highly competitive pilot selection process with the idea that we're going to run it with these four cities and then can scale it to more and more around the world. And we selected the four uh, based on kind of a diverse criteria of who their partners were, what their teams looked like, what challenges they were looking to approach, and the impact that we really thought they could have using the Scale 360 methodology and our approach to initiating change.
1: So, can you give me a sense of what you're testing in different cities? Like, are they, so Mexico City is very different from Bangkok. You know, are you going to be testing sort of the same theories? Do, do each of them have a, a really specific focus that they're going to be uh, honing in on?
2: So the first step of working with Scale360 is answering the questions that you just posed on a city-by-city or country-by-country basis. Our methodology starts with pulling together an advisory board, getting the right People in the room from public sector, private sector and civil society uh, to really advise on shaping what what we call an intervention should look like. So we, the playbook itself identifies 26 different tried and true and proven uh, innovation support mechanisms, everything from leadership councils to innovation challenges and accelerators most of which you may have heard, but what would be most applicable depends on who we're working with and and what the stage of circular and innovation is in development in the city. So the shapers themselves and the leads for these programs are excellent. It's been incredible working with these four different hub cities around the world they have pulled together advisory boards and then went through a process of identifying what the the key challenges they wanted to take on and their priorities for the programs, and then identifying and isolating what they would wanna take on. So for example, in our Mexico City hub, they've narrowed it down to just a few interventions, one of them being an innovation tour. So they will take key leaders connected to their hub and bring them to see what circular innovations are already happening in this space to really get those creative juices turning in in corporates and in government around what can be done for circular to then further build on that with future programming. Whereas in Bangkok, they're really taking an approach of how do we build more circularity into existing programs? So each hub is taking their own approach to how to implement uh, the program, and that's really what we're looking for them to do, is to build what's going
1: to have the most impact for their distinct environment. So, can you give me a timeline? So, you know how how is how is the timeline for this uh, pilot going to go?
2: So, we kicked off the program in February for this pilot, uh, and they really have until July 1st to deliver impact. So, the kind of last of the scoping in the playbook is identifying key indicators to measure impact. And so that's kind of the stage that a lot of the hubs are at now is how will they me- measure success of the program that they're implementing between now and July 1st. doesn't mean that they can't keep doing work after that. We wanted to put a really finite period on the pilot so we could take all of these learnings and then accept new hub applications and expand the program further. I would also mention that Uh, The pilot with the Shapers is actually only one of the partnerships that Scale360 works with globally. We have country and national programs uh, and additional partnerships that are in a similar model. Uh, But the Scale360 program is, is unique right now in its sort of pilot and expansion approach.
1: You know, can you mention what you think sort of the main pain points are right now that cities are trying to figure out, right? I'm sure of the four, like for example on the Shapers pilot, you have 400 hubs. Um, that could have been part of this. What are the, some of the common themes or pain points that cities are trying to solve when it comes to to being more circular?
2: I think that all of our minds naturally gravitate toward waste and recycling because it is a core challenge for any city around the world. And I think for circular in cities, Uh, Some of the challenge is actually thinking about all of the different entry points that there are for circularity and how important the design phase is and thinking about the entire life cycle. Uh, So I'm not downplaying the importance of waste management and recycling as part of circularity, but I think uh, there's a huge opportunity globally in thinking more about use, reuse, and design from a circular and impact perspective
1: thinking about the large private sector companies, the big multinationals that could play a role in these pilots and and programs, what would, how would you like to see the private sector of big companies involved?
2: So we already have a few companies involved in the, the local shapers boards and in some of the boards for our other programs. And that's really part of what we want to incorporate as the forum is providing the opportunity for the companies and governments engaged with our circular economy work to get into the innovation space and to even get down to the city level uh, with our
1: partners that are driving programs there. One last question for you, Helen. What do you hope to learn from these efforts and how will the learnings be shared?
2: So I would answer that in in maybe a two-pronged way. From a program perspective, kind of in my shoes, I am Super excited to be working with the shapers to learn how we can do better in supporting our partners and scaling the program, how to shape these partnerships, who to work with, uh, and how to make them most effective. And then from a global perspective, there's a lot of learning around how to support innovators and what's needed to create these hubs that I mentioned. Thinking about the Silicon Valley hub model of you need policy and academia and experts and technologists and all of these different uh, people and organizations to really work together to create those ecosystems for innovation. And I think we're learning as we go how to do that uh, and how to most effectively reach the trailblazing innovative startups, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs, and then help them scale.
1: Well, thanks for your work and thanks for joining us here on Greenbiz 350 to chat about it. Thank you. You just heard from Helen Burdett, circular economy innovation lead for the World Economic Forum.
0: And that's our 350 podcast for this week. As always, go to greenbiz.com slash 350. And you'll learn more about the organizations and stories we mentioned this week. While you're there, check out our free e-newsletters. We publish a different one every day of the week. Go to greenbiz.com slash newsletters and you'll learn more about them. We love to hear from you. Your comments, your questions, your tips. Email us at 350 at greenbiz.com. Heather and I will be back next week with another edition of GreenViz 350. Until then, from all of us here at GreenBiz Group, I'm Joel McAllen. Thanks so much for tuning in.